electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Americans are loading up their shopping carts. Target's first quarter sales up over 20%. CEO Brian Cornell. We're seeing a much more optimistic consumer who is excited about getting back to the life that they haven't lived for the last year. Squarespace for DIY websites and a lot more makes its public debut. CEO Anthony Casalena. We're known as an all-in-one platform. We specialize in design. We're one of the few companies that has invested in design as much as we have, which helps our customers really stand out, tell their story, and sell more. And prepping for another market listing this week, Oatly. It's a creamer. It's a beverage. It's a, well. I think if there's any real question to be asked this morning is, is it real milk? It's not milk. I kind of stand with the dairy farmers on that bit of it. Those stories, but first, tales and tumbles from the crypto. Bitcoin melting down. I told you this was going to happen. <laughs> nani, nani, nani. This is what you get when you get that speculative fervor. It's Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, yep, Bitcoin continued, it continues its recent tumble now below 40,039 and change. Uh, it went through the 40,000 mark overnight. Bitcoin uh, had been just below 65,000 in mid-April, and today's drop comes amid news of new restrictions on cryptocurrency transactions imposed by the Chinese government. People on Twitter talking about Colonial. Can you do Colonial without crypto, guys? No, you can't. And that, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the crackdown that you're seeing and part of the investigation that you've seen from the DOJ into some of these exchanges and finding out where things go. It's that and it's the, um, the Treasury Department who wants to make sure if you've made a lot of money right. in crypto that you're paying your taxes. That'll happen. Um, that's true. And, and, you know, you cannot escape uh, Uncle Sam, there's, there's no. Can, can you imagine um, if you knew you had to pay taxes on anything, including Bitcoin, and, and not doing it? I, I'd be, I'd be looking over my shoulder every minute of the day. I, you just don't want to mess with the IRS. But the I, IRS I know that. thinks that people, the IRS thinks people are not paying their taxes. They're talking about over a trillion dollars that they think they can make oh, if they start spending more on and, crackdowns and because they've had more and more. You know, so they think there me. are people who are avoiding it yeah. and evading it, right? Yeah. No, not us. The problem is, the, but as you know, the IRS can hardly catch anybody because they have no resources. So it's the whole thing is right. anyway. They, so you beef it yeah. up. I, look, they're going to get more resources soon. I think there is enough of a drumbeat there and enough of a, of a explanation that if you put the money in, you will get far more back in what you actually get in those uncollected taxes. So I, I think that will happen. You both made it under the wire on May 17th. You both both did it. Uh, I filed uh, a long time ago. Geez, I, uh, extensions. I, I, I did it the know. day of, as you know. Day, uh, day of. Day uh, of. If you get an extension. You did it yesterday? You still, you still got to pay. Two days ago? still got to pay if you get an extension. Yeah, but we were, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't need to get into my, t- I, it's always complicated. We have all sorts of extensions you've and all sorts a, of crazy things always going on. You've got a cadre of not, the finest 
uh, accountants and lawyers in New York City. I'm, I'm sure that that uh, is pouring, true. We do. We have a great, great team of people. You have a team. Yes. Oh boy. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not just a starting basketball team. It's more of a starting football team, I think. There's like 11 or 12. I don't, we, as you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about how we can overpay because we, we like to give as yeah. much as we can. Well, we got to move on. I just, can I just say one thing for everybody in Pittsburgh? Please. Rennie Stennett passed away. And I don't know, you guys probably don't remember him, but oh. we are family. It was a huge deal. Rennie went seven for seven, the last player uh, in modern uh, baseball the only one to ever go seven for seven in a nine-inning game, but he passed away. Anyway, I saw that, and I was, wow, Randy Stennett, name from the past, yeah. from that great team uh, that won the World Series in 79. Uh, Bitcoin's drop, the biggest in about three months, continues the not-so-good week the world's largest digital token has had. Last Wednesday, Tesla CEO Elon Musk announced the electric vehicle maker would no longer accept Bitcoin for car purchases. Those comments caused over $300 billion to be just wiped off the entire cryptocurrency market that day. And J.P. Morgan said in a note yesterday that institutional investors seem to be shifting away from Bitcoin and moving back into good old gold in their holdings, reversing a trend seen over the past six months. And this could be hinting that Bitcoin's momentum is cooling off and the cryptocurrency is headed into bear market territory, which would have impact on a range of other publicly traded companies that use it. Guys, again, this chicken and egg scenario, when you see the big tech names, the Nasdaq under pressure, you tend to see pressure on, on, on Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies. But it's probably because a lot of those are, are the same holders. People who are active in one might be active in another. If you get a big drawdown on, on cryptocurrency prices, you may have to pay for it by selling some of your stocks in other areas. Yeah, well, money's cheap. Those are a lot of the areas where the, a lot of the money went in. Bitcoin's supposed to be the answer to the cheap money uh, that, that we have seen it that, that doesn't really work that way. It's not quite like Coinbase uh, had its own issues with, with the convertible, right? They, 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 right? And that's the way companies are supposed to work. They, they, but it is well below the reference price, Coinbase, from where uh, when, when all the fanfare a month ago, whenever that was, that we talked about. And you should raise money when, if you feel like uh, you know, you're getting good value. For your it's shares an and a convertible yeah. offering, it'd be opportun- opportunistic, but that does dilute it a little, uh, even though it's a debt off- convertible debt offering. But uh, that's headed down another nine yeah. points to 230 today. Um, hmm. But remember, 38,000 seemed absolutely strategic. 28 right. seemed like, oh my God, because it had gone to 20 all the way back well, down to three. And then, so, as we mentioned, this, is, yeah. this only brings us back to where we were on February 9th. If that right. tells you about how quickly these these uh, currencies have run up, I, I don't know what we call them, crypto, how quickly crypto has run up. This brings you back to the levels of February 9th. We're not talking about yeah. years of retracement. We're talking about months. Um, and, and it is just well, worth watching to, with these things, but you just wonder what it's now. Back. You're supposed to stack. It's by, that's what the, 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 the true believers say. Whenever you get an opportunity right. like this, you start stack your stacking chips. the coins. Stack start, your chips. Yeah, start stacking the coins. Which means uh, buy more. Like sitting at the poker table? Or the roulette I think table? So, yeah. Or the yeah, it might craps be a table? Game. Is that yeah. what that refers to? It might be a No guess. gambling if here. If you look at a chart, <laughs> no, it, I mean, it's, a, it's asymptotic. And, you know, you look at any... Hyperbolic? I don't know. It just it goes straight up. And you look at some of the, the, the on the left hand side where there were you know it stopped for a while. You know things are like down at you know I don't know where it goes, but thirty thousand seems 
like it looks like a place where you might easily get and maybe it stops there, but I, I don't think anybody but that's knows. the issue. If it's supposed to be a belief system, you need people to believe, right? Well, I it mean, is a belief you, system. It that's was like ten dollars. So it was ten dollars. You believe to the extent that it's worth forty thousand dollars. So there's still some believers left. But yesterday you thought it was, you know, you believed at forty five thousand dollars, or Who? somebody else. What do you mean, at, you? At 50, Me? Not you. No, no. Yeah. I'm saying people. There, people. Were, there were people well, who believed at forty five thousand yesterday, and there were people. Two days before that, who believed at 48 and others who believed at 52,000. I mean, so, but I think there's a larger issue here, which is what JP Morgan's saying, and I think is more representative of even what Elon Musk was saying, which was much of the rise of Bitcoin over the last several months was a function of not just a belief system among retail investors, but a belief system that among retail investors that institutional investors were about to jump into this in a major way. And Tesla was the first in MicroStrategy. And we were going to see company after company start putting this on their balance sheet. And therefore, it, you, you, you could make all of these arguments about how it was going to be worth whatever, whatever stratospheric number you, you want. Now you're at a point where, you know, Tesla, Elon Musk, who, you know, publicly has, uh, you know, thumbed his nose at the SEC and does all sorts of things that are unique and unusual, says he's not doing it. Uh, and then the question is, can really big institutions do it? J.P. Morgan out with the note saying that big institutions are not doing it. So um, I think that there's a little bit of a lot of bit of noise, but I think there's a little bit of confusion, maybe to put it politely, about what's really happening here. Well, if it can go to 20 and go back to three and it, it can go to 62 and go back to I don't know. I, yep. I don't know if it goes back it to three. And then the gold bugs, you know, there's, they're, they're funny. You know, some of the most well-known <laughs> gold bugs uh, who, who really have been trashing Bitcoin from like $200 to $62,000. So, and they've been, you know, predicting gold's going to 5000 or 10000 in the wrong year after year after year. And it may eventually. But so to take a victory lap when this thing that they've totally trashed and missed from 62 to 40 when gold is still sort of where it was eight years ago when they were predicting it to go to double to five thousand, whatever. So it's just funny because they're like, huh. nanny, nanny, nanny. Everybody I told you, I told you, know who I'm talking about, <laughs> but I told you this was going to happen, <laughs> nanny, nanny, nanny. And it's 40,000 and their gold is still. This is what you get when you get that speculative, <laughs> when you get that speculative fervor, it becomes more like you're rooting for your home team, you're talking your book, right. you're rooting for your crowd. And by the way, it's really fun to be involved with speculative fervor, fervor when things are going up, but nothing kills that fervor like starting to lose on, on one level or another. And I'm not just talking crypto. I'm talking anything right. that's out there. If you're looking nothing at the NASDAQ, if you're looking me. at any of these places, right. it's been really fun lately to be involved with any of it because it's gone nowhere but up. All of a sudden, you look around and things are down and you get a little nervous with it. And you wonder what that does to the momentum, too. So we'll see. Maybe this the, is temporary. Maybe things... I'll start doing a Henry Blodgett, uh, you, you know, his uh, <laughs> prediction. Somewhere between zero and a million is, is what, what he said. When Bitcoin was 90 in 2011, when a bunch of venture capitalists described it to me, I said, look, this is the perfect asset for a speculative bubble. It could go to a million. Uh, and I still stand by that. It could trade at a dollar or a million. It's the same. And that's, nailed that's that. about right. <laughs> it's about right. Which is what distinguished him. Uh, and and by the way, back in the you don't know what you're going to get when you wake up any given day. Right. D- tell me it's not one of the first things you check when you wake up because See, you think, have no idea yeah. within twenty or $30,000 where it's going to be. I think that range is, is money good for, for a couple of years, I think, zero to a million. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we can 
Uh, that's my that's my intermediate and long term forecast. Zero to a million. All right. Henry's not here to defend himself. But yes, we say he's smart in cheek when we spoke to him. I'm saying he's not. He doesn't need to defend himself. I'm, I'm, uh, it I'm is plugging him. It. I'm plugging his analysis. Brilliant. Late last night, the New York Attorney General's office announcing it's now formally opened a criminal probe into the Trump organization. The AG's office, which had previously launched a civil probe, now says it is criminal and is working alongside the Manhattan District Attorney's Office on the criminal investigation. NBC News previously reported the probe into the Trump organization is focused on whether it had inflated the value of its assets for the purpose of tax breaks and access to loans. A representative from the Trump organization has yet to respond to a request for comment from NBC News. Um, but um, it does appear uh, that um, things are going to potentially get more complicated for the president. We'll see. That, that I was a New York I Times. I said the former piece, president, right? What New say? York Times. That was a, a a New York Times piece. I remember from a couple of years ago um, that that highlighted a lot of those uh, issues about the inflating. You can do a lot with real estate. There was a lot in of, infl- of there was taxes. a lot of inflate. It appears a lot of inflating of, of values and right. uh, and deflating of values for the purposes of taxes. That that if true right. would this be criminal. And we said and, it back um, then that if it's true, but it, and. Uh, you know, if it wasn't, then it's not. If it is, then it is. But it's taken a long time to finally. It's uh, taken you know, a long time. Yeah. Uh, but Letitia James's office and others, I don't know. I mean, I, it'd be very interesting to see what happens. Next on Squawk Pod, Target's profit surges as shoppers emerge from the pandemic eager to spend. The retailer's CEO, Brian Cornell. I think the confluence of a stronger economy, a consumer who has been vaccinated, who is more confident, who's excited about getting back to their normal life. All those things are benefiting us right now. We're back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. Target out with first quarter results this morning. The comp sales up almost 23% from a year ago. Digital sales, which is part of that, up by 50% from a year ago. That stock in the pre-market this morning picking up even more ground. Last we checked, yeah, right now it's up by almost 4% this morning, 3.9% gain. And joining us right now to talk about the numbers and much more is Target's chairman and CEO, Brian Cornell, in a Squawk exclusive interview. Hey, Brian, it's great to see you this morning. Um, Thank you for taking the time. What happened? Becky, good morning. We've had, obviously, a string of really solid results going all the way back to 2017. But this quarter may be, for me, one of the highlights. And I think our team executed throughout the quarter. Great performance from our store teams, a store comp of 18%. Great digital performance, plus 50%. But it was really a team effort. Great supply chain support. Our merchants, our marketers, our support teams all coming together to support and serve the guests throughout the quarter. And the results, I think, speak for themselves. 
Brian, one of the things people have been watching with with all of the stocks that did so well during the lockdown, uh, stocks like Target, like Home Depot, like Lululemon, like all, all through the retail world and beyond, the stocks that did so well during the pandemic, people keep waiting to see when and if they fall out as things start to open back up. I think that's been one of the huge questions. And Home Depot did say on its conference call yesterday that the trends seem to be slowing in recent weeks. Is that the case with you? What what have you seen in terms of traffic, in terms of shoppers, in terms of what people are willing to do as other stores open up and, and as you know, people really get out and start doing other things? Thank you. I think we're benefiting from investments we've been making for years now. Our investment in our store experience, our curated own brand and national brand mix, and then the fulfillment services that we offer. So that combined with the investment in our team I think we are seeing continued strength. We feel really good sitting here right now about our outlook, not just for the second quarter, but for the full year. As we gain greater clarity around the consumer, the economy, the state of the vaccine, we feel as if the consumer just continues to respond to our in-store experience, the ease and convenience of shopping with some of our same-day services like pickup and drive up and ship. But I think they really connect with our curation of great own brands and national brands and the service our teams provide each and every day. So we're feeling very confident about our position today. And I look at the proof point from Q1, we picked up another billion dollars in market share on top of $9 billion of share last year. And to me, that's just a sign that we've connected with the consumer, we're building relevance and we're providing what they need and what they want throughout the year. All right, let's talk about that. I, I mean, just the traffic, I looked through some of these numbers, Brian, and it's kind of phenomenal. Like the store comps up 18 percent, like you mentioned, same day services up 90 percent. And then you start looking at things like the operating um, margins that, that have come through with some of these things. First quarter operating margin income margin was 9.8 percent for this most recent quarter compared with 2.4 percent for the first quarter in 2020. Why was it so much more profitable? What happened um, over the space of that year to make it just so much more incredibly profitable? Well, Becky, when you see the combination of stores comping up at 18%, which to me is just a highlight number, and categories like apparel growing again by over 60%, that combination of store traffic and category mix really benefit us throughout the quarter. So, you know, we're not going to see that happen each and every day, but we're seeing a resilient consumer. They're clearly shopping our stores, and when they're there, they're attracted to anything that's new. Newness has certainly been a trend throughout our business in the first quarter, and I think that's going to continue. So that great combination of store traffic and store comps, discretionary categories like apparel growing at over 60%, and the continued movement towards our same-day fulfillment services, which now represent over half of our digital channel. Now, we really like that transaction. It looks and feels much more like a store transaction, which from a profitability standpoint, certainly is beneficial for us. So, Brian, we, we talk all the time about where things are going. And I know you guys haven't given guidance in a very long time, but you are giving some guidance uh, right now. What, you, you feel like you can see the future a little bit better than you've been able to over the last year or so? Well, Becky, I'll just go back to the last time you and I talked about 90 days ago and just how much uncertainty was in the market at that time. We were all wondering about the state of the economy, would there be another wave of COVID? What was going to happen with vaccine distribution? I think sitting here today, we've just got so much more clarity around what's happening in the United States. I think we recognize that 
COVID trends are declining. Vaccine distribution continues to grow. But I think there's much greater certainty about how we're going to live our lives over the balance of this year. I keep thinking about you know, the excitement of you know, going back to a restaurant, kids going back to school, the back to college season. I think about key holidays. I hope you had a great Mother's Day. We had a frenetic environment in our stores during Mother's Day as consumers were shopping for flowers and greeting cards, wine and chocolate and gifts from mom. And I think we're gonna see the same thing in Father's Day. I think Americans are going to come together for the first time in over a year and celebrate Memorial Day with friends and family. The same thing I think is gonna happen in July 4th and Labor Day. So these big life moments are coming back for all of us. And I think we're all excited about celebrating with friends and family again. And I think that's gonna really provide greater clarity as we look at key holidays and key moments throughout the balance of this year. So the clarity that we have today versus just 90 days ago gives us a much better ability to forecast the balance of this year. And we expect to continue to see very solid comps and continue to grow market share throughout 2021. You know, we have so many questions about the economy, about the consumer, about inflation, but let's start with the consumer. Um, how are they feeling this these days, at least according to what you're seeing in the stores? It sounds like they are pretty flush with cash. How much of that do you think is tied into additional payments that are going out? And how much of that is just a, a healthy a, a consumer with or without the government? Yeah, I think it's a confluence, Becky, of a number of different variables. I think there is greater certainty in the economy. I think the consumer certainly has benefited from stimulus. But I've also seen examples of you know, consumers who are back in our stores after being vaccinated. And I've heard stories as I've been in stores with our store team leaders talking about, you know, there's guests in our stores that they haven't seen in months and months who were using our drive up lane throughout the pandemic, who now have been vaccinated and they're enjoying physically shopping in our stores and grabbing that cup of Starbucks coffee and browsing the aisles and looking for what's new and exciting. So I think the confluence of a stronger economy, a consumer who has been vaccinated, who is more confident, who's excited about getting back to their normal life, all those things are benefiting us right now. And I, I do think we're seeing a much more optimistic consumer who is excited about getting back to the life that they haven't lived for the last year. Does that show up in people spending more per basket? Every, everybody who coming in spending more money? I mean, we did see basket increase by about 5% in the first quarter. Obviously, most of our comp was driven by traffic. But obviously, there's hmm. buying more categories. And I think for the first time in about a year, consumers are taking their time and they're browsing. Uh, they're in our apparel category. But they're also shopping for toys and electronics. They're looking for new things for their home as they now welcome their friends and family back into their home. We saw a nice uptick in home decor and seasonal. And we've seen continued strength in household essentials and food and beverage, despite the fact that we comped over that huge spike we saw last year. So I think they're shopping all the categories and they're just excited to be back in our stores, shopping with confidence. Mm -hmm. They're really excited about the newness that we've provided. But I think the investment we made in safety throughout the pandemic has helped us build trust. And I think we're seeing the benefits of hmm. all the investments we made in safety and health and wellness with our team and our guests. Our guest is paying us back right now by shopping more often and shopping all of our categories. Mm -hmm. 
Hey, Brian, we've only got a couple of minutes left, and I want to run through a couple other, several other questions really quickly. But supply chain woes. There was an article in The Wall Street Journal yesterday that talked about how the supply chain has had big, big problems. Getting shipments from Shanghai to L.A. now takes um, something like 33 days versus 14 days before. You're not having any problems when it comes to the supply chain? Becky, we've had a really experienced supply chain leadership team. They're experts in the space. I think you know we're the second largest net importer in the United States. And if you look at our performance in the first quarter and look at some of the financial metrics, we added $2 billion of additional inventory to our system. So we're watching it carefully, but we're maneuvering through some of the challenges. And I feel really good about our inventory positions and the improvement we're seeing in in stocks. And that's going to certainly benefit us for months and months to come. Are you having trouble finding employees to fill the jobs in your stores? Becky, we're not. I think it goes back to investments we've, make, we've been making going all the way back to 2017, when we said we were going to get to a starting minimum wage of $15 and be an employer of choice in retail. And I think those investments that we made going all the way back to 2017, the way we cared for our team throughout the pandemic, we've seen a really engaged team member and we have not experienced labor issues in our system. Higher prices for things like wages, making sure your supply chain puts you at the top of the list, inputs, input costs going up, that, that all adds up to inflation. Are those costs that you're able to absorb? Do you pass it on to your consumer? What do you see on that front? Becky, we're seeing some modest increases in pricing, some modest inflation in our system, but it is where we benefit from our multi-category portfolio. And we are seeing some inflation in food and beverage. You've been reporting that, but we've got this balanced portfolio where you know, 20% of our business is in household essentials and beauty. 20% is in categories like electronics and toys and sporting goods. 20% is in home, the other 20% is in apparel. So we've got this balanced portfolio that allows us to manage cost increases. And it's what we do for a living. Our merchants, our sourcing teams, they work each and every day to make sure we continue to provide great value to the consumer who shops at Target. So we're watching it carefully, but right now I'd say it's really, for us, it's modest, it's manageable, and we're gonna continue to make sure we provide great value for all of the guests that are shopping our stores and target.com. And finally, mask mandates. You all were one of the first chains to kind of follow along the CDC guidance to say that you would not be required to wear a mask in the store if you were vaccinated. Um, I guess the question becomes, how do you police that? You assume that it's the honor code here and that people, if they're not wearing a mask, it, it must mean they're, they're vaccinated? Becky, throughout the last year, you know, we've relied on the medical experts. We've relied on the CDC to guide us through the right steps to take. We were one of the first to say, you know, we wanted all of our guests and all of our team to wear masks when they were shopping our stores. And we made big investments in safety and health and wellness with plexiglass shields and social distancing and metering of the number of guests in our stores. And we're gonna to continue to rely on the experts to guide us through these decisions. So we have eased the mask mandate. We're still recommending to guests and our team members who haven't been vaccinated to wear a mask. And we're encouraging our team and providing them paid time off and lift codes to make sure they can get vaccinated. In most cases, they can just make a easy appointment at a CVS pharmacy inside one of our target stores to make sure they're vaccinated. So we'll continue to rely on the experts to guide us through these decisions. And we'll continue to focus on making sure we have great safety measures and we're out there ensuring that we're 
cleaning, we're sanitizing, we're asking our guests to social distance, and we're following all the direction from the CDC throughout the summer. Brian, I want to thank you for your time today. It's really good to see you, and we do good appreciate you, you coming on and giving us the deep dive like this. Becky, hopefully the next time we can do it in person. That would be great. I look forward to it. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Squarespace's direct listing on the New York Stock Exchange. If you've ever built your own website or scrolled to the bottom of someone else's website or heard an ad on a podcast, you probably know this one. CEO Anthony Casalena on What's Next. As we move forward into this kind of world of what we're calling multimodal commerce, yes, the physical commerce component competes with Shopify, but appointment booking, reservations, to-go ordering, uh, member areas, these compete with a, a wide variety of companies, many of which are not even public. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's some of the headlines. Andrew. We've got a big week for direct listings and IPOs. Squarespace and Oatly set to make their public debuts. And Leslie Picker joins us with more on both of those. Leslie. Hey, good morning, Andrew. That's right. Squarespace today, Oatly on deck for tomorrow. Squarespace offers websites, domains, e-commerce, and social media management tools for businesses and independent creators. The New York-based company recently raised a private placement of $300 million at $68.42 per share just in March, a few months ago, implying a $10 billion valuation. Last night, the NYSE set its reference price at $50 a share, a 27% discount, although this is merely a benchmark to help guide investors on where to start submitting orders. It doesn't necessarily mean money is exchanging hands at 50. Uh, but following the stock's debut, we will be looking ahead to Oatly's pricing of its IPO tonight. The oat milk maker is also seeking a $10 billion valuation and comes to market with several tailwinds, such as a backing from Oprah that never hurts, uh, a new partnership with Starbucks, and the prospect of expanding to Asia. And its IPO is likely to attract a growing ESG, or environmental social governance, investor base. The word sustainability, for example, is mentioned 112 times in Oatly's prospectus. Oatly says a liter of its product consumed in place of cow's milk results in 80% less greenhouse gas emissions. Now, with Renaissance Capital's help, we found that the 12 IPOs, like Oatly's, with a clear ESG bend in the last year, jumped 45% on average in their debuts, more than eight percentage points higher than their non-ESG counterparts. So a clear premium for these ESG companies. We'll see if it can uh, weather this kind of volatile market, though. Andrew. Well, Leslie, what are your comps on that? Is that are those food companies that we're talking ESG or just any company that sort of identifies as ESG? Yeah, food companies, ESG, I'm sorry, EV-related companies, companies that have to do with, um, you know, obviously improving the electric vehicle right. uh, ecosystem. That's the bulk of them. But is it real milk? I think that's, if there's any real question to be asked this morning, is, is it real milk? Do you, do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what you define as milk. I have it in my coffee right now. 
not oatly, but a different kind of oat milk. And, uh, you know, okay. it's got calcium and protein and I don't know. People say it has more sugar. I think it tastes good, though. So it depends on what you're looking a lot for, of I guess. Debate. There's a lot of debate. Milk uh, mustache, debate I don't know. Continue. I don't know if you can get that. It's not milk. You say no. Not, okay. No, it's not. It tastes no good, way. though. It does I mean, taste look, good. I, I, yeah, I've, I've used almond milk. I used it for a long time. I don't right now, but it's not milk. It's the same thing as calling meatless meat meat. You know, I, I get it. You call it that so you know what you use it for, but it's not technically milk. I kind of stand with the dairy farmers on that bit of it. Milk or no, you be the judge tomorrow. Oatly will make its public debut on Thursday, IPOing on the NASDAQ. But today is Squarespace. Here's Andrew kicking off an interview with the software company's CEO ahead of its direct listing on the New York Stock Exchange. Joining us right now in a first on CNBC interview is Squarespace founder and CEO Anthony Casalena. Anthony, it's great to see you. Congratulations uh, on this, this milestone day. Um, let's talk about your company, but also let's talk a little bit about this moment in the markets in terms of your company. And I should say I have been a customer of Squarespace for uh, many, many years. Um, how should investors think about what Squarespace does in terms of comps um, versus like a Wix, which also allows people to make uh, websites versus a Shopify, which really has more of an e-commerce play to it? But sort of speak, speak to the landscape, if you could. Sure. And it's great to be speaking again. Um, it's, a, it's a great day for us. Um, you know, we're known, of course, as the, you know, I believe one of the premier brands in our space that helps our customers get online, brand themselves, create a website, get a domain. Um, we're known as an all-in-one platform. We specialize in design. We're one of the few companies that has invested in design as much as we have, which helps our customers really stand out, tell their story, and sell more. And one of the things I'm most excited about as we make this transition to go public and tell our story for the next half decade and decade is that we've really been invested for many years in commerce. And it started with, of course, physical commerce online. But what we focus on right now is helping our customers transact in many ways. They're selling member areas. They're booking appointments. They're um, booking reservations. They're uh, creating to-go orders. And so the commerce part of our story and, and the way that's integrated with our core platform and what we help our customers do is uh, really why we stand apart. So, Anthony, though, when you look at a whiteboard on a Monday morning and talk about your competition, does that mean that Shopify's at the top of the list? Or where, where, does, where does that put you in terms of thinking about, again, this goes to a valuation issue, uh, a Wix versus a Shopify comp, if you will? So I'd, I'd emphasize that when we go to whiteboards in the morning, we don't start with uh, looking at our competition. We more like start with looking at our customers and see what they, uh, w- what they need and where we, where we see them going. Because our customer base is super high quality and a little bit different than what you would see in a Shopify where a lot of people are starting with uh, e-commerce. Um, I think that we're you know, somewhere in the middle there. I think, of course, we've known, we're known for the content management system, web hosting domains, and that's, that's really the front door for our customers. But... Again, as we move forward into this kind of world of what we're calling multimodal commerce, yes, the physical commerce right. component competes with Shopify, but appointment booking, reservations, to-go ordering, uh, member areas, these compete with a, a wide variety of companies, many of which are not even public. Uh, Anthony, you, you are a profitable company, uh, which, frankly, has been different than a lot of other companies that have gone public recently. Uh, your revenue grew, uh, I believe, year-over-year uh, over year growth of uh, 24 to 26 percent in terms of what you're expecting. Um, my question to you is, you look at what happened last year, how much of that was a pull forward and how, how anxious are you about what that looks like going forward? 
Yeah, so our, quarter, our Q1 revenue growth was uh, around 31%. Um, and when we think about overlapping nearly a year now um, from when COVID started, we believe that COVID is just an accelerant of trends that we've already seen happening in the market. We don't see people who have, you know, seen that they can do business online, transact in multiple ways online, suddenly find that that's not important to them. Um, so we see more and more momentum in our space. And I think the, the, the trends from COVID will be uh, largely sustained. And, and, and given the market environment, um, there were many ways to go public. I, I know a couple of there was talk about whether a SPAC, you do it via a SPAC, you do it via direct listing. Um, how did you how did you come to this conclusion? I'd also ask, by the way, because I don't know if you saw Coinbase just did this yesterday. They had a direct listing, of course, but they also now have actually put a convertible note into the market. Uh, you know, now it's about a month afterwards. Is that something you would think about in the future? Well, we chose a direct listing and, and also we're, we're uh, the first New York City headquartered company to pursue a direct listing. Um, direct listing fit for us because you know, as you mentioned, Squarespace has been a profitable company for, you know, a number of years, and we don't need to raise money in this event. And so our thinking was pursue the direct listing, give people the option to buy if they want to buy, sell if they want to sell. And, you know, we don't look at any one day in the market as being that significant. And so, again, what's great about the direct listing is no one's suffering unnecessary dilution today. Right. Uh, Anthony, uh, we wish you lots of luck. We hope you come on back, and uh, we look forward to following your progress. Great speaking to you again. I'll, I'll you be again. calling Thank you for you. technical support if I need it on the website. So there. I'll be here. Thanks. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod. And we'd love to hear from you. Send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. Just click on Write a Review on whatever device you listen on. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.